You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Father, it is with great delight that we open your word this morning, knowing that you have given us everything that is necessary for life and godliness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And knowing that it was you who opened our eyes, it is you who have fastened our gaze on your Son. It is you who have made the way for us to become what you would have us become for your glory. And so this morning, as we look into your word, Give us wisdom, discernment, and insight into how you would apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as we get farther and farther into the book of 1 Corinthians, it's going to become very evident that Paul has got to deal with some significant difficulties. And one of the most important things that I'm beginning to take away from this book is that wrong theology results in wrong behavior. If you haven't got a clear picture of what God wants for you, you will not know how to properly live out what God wants you to live out as a Christian, as a believer. How's that working out for you there? Can, can you tell what I'm trying to... I mean, okay, my, my slideshows aren't going to win any awards anyway, but, but let's pretend that, that it actually makes sense most Sunday mornings. Uh, Here's a map. I'm going to try and get you from uh, Athens to Corinth. How's that going to work for you? Can you see? So if I give you bad directions or blurred directions, what will happen? You'll end up in Missoula. Everybody who gets bad directions ends up in Missoula <laughs> because it's a college town. Um, how about this one? Is that a little better? Um, and I, I guess what I wanted to do this morning as we, as we approach verse 10 of this chapter, and I'll, I'll clean this up in a minute. Uh, does it just, are there those of you in the crowd who are like me, though, that just go, it's like fingers on a blackboard, fingernails. It's just, would he do something? Okay, go ahead. The, the, the object lesson is over. Fix it. Or I will begin killing people. You know. What I, wanna, I want us to, to really grab hold of, at least in the first chapter of Corinthians, and probably all the way through, is that what Paul had to deal with was believers. There were many unbelievers in the Corinthian church, but believers who were, had assimilated wrong doctrine, who did not have a clear view of what the Scripture taught, who were, and, and it, it affected their lives. We don't know how fortunate we are by God's grace to belong to a fellowship that has the clear teaching every Sunday morning of our pastor and who, who have people in the pews who understand and are discerning about the Word of God and are willing to help their servant leadership correct themselves when they've made a mistake or a misturn. And there's a loving relationship and everybody is committed to the purity of the doctrine of the Word of God. We don't know how well we have it off. It's not like that everywhere. And so I'm going to fix this because it's driving me nuts too. But when Paul gets to dealing with some of these issues farther into the book, and it's going to start at about verse 10. Well, not at about. It's going to start at verse 10. 
where he begins to admonish. How's that? Is that better doctrine? Can you get to Crete now? Why would you want to do that? But can you? So I'm going to advance to where we're going to be this morning uh, as I speak. We're going to read the first chapter. And as we go through this first chapter, I want us to be aware of why Paul starts the book out this way. Why, why would you start a letter out with the, where you're going to deal with someone who is recalcitrant, who's, who's um, difficult, who is not following proper procedure, who's not loving, who's not kind, who's not considerate, and you would start it out with praise. In every life, in every life that is being lived out for the Lord Jesus Christ, are there not missteps, are there not mistakes, are there not conundrums, if you will? And, and Paul knows that, and of course the Holy Spirit knows that. And so as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to continually come back to the idea that this was a group of people who had a reputation for being really, really strange. But Paul calls them beloved he thanks God for them. He, he praises God for them. And I think we all, all need to remember that, that every one of us puts our pants on one leg at a time. None of us levitates to do it. And that as the opening, opening uh, slide I have every morning says, such were some of you, but you were washed. And this I direct to myself. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. And so we're going to start again this morning by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1, remembering that God, that Paul gave thanks for fallen people, for broken people, for people who were not perfect, but for people who had a heart to be educated, to be taught, to be admonished, to turn. Now there'll be people in, first, in Corinth who didn't, but there are most of them as he gets through the book and the later problems, the church stayed. The church thrived. The church flourished as they trusted the Holy Spirit to change their lives. And so that's what he wants for us as well as we read through this and as we study it, to look to, to the Holy Spirit of God to direct us to become, to, use our, to, to have right theology so that our behavior will be right. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he says it, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony of concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no divisions among you, but you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, 
and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, that no man should say you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech that the cross of Christ should not be made void. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for a sign, ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are. That no man should boast before God, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul's words and, and theology are, are nothing if they are not consistent. All through his writings, he continues to remind us that everything we have is from the hand of God. Salvation, sanctification, justification, everything. And, and we'll see that in the later verses of 1 Corinthians 1. But this morning, we finished up last week, um, verse 2 was, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. He, Paul, reminds the church in the first two verses of their calling, of their sanctification, and that there are others all over the world just like them. Those are good things to be reminded of regularly so that we don't become, have what I call the Elijah complex. I'm alone. I'm the only one. There were plenty of them. And in this church, there were plenty. And so then we're going to start with verse 3 this morning. Paul continues with his, his praise, if you will, his encouragement, his thankfulness. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a typical greet, Pauline greeting, and, and, and I, I, sometimes I minimize it as I'm reading through. He says that often. We don't want to minimize that greeting. He always reminds us, and he reminds the Corinthians, that God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ both are gracious and grace-giving, and that brings peace to our hearts, peace to our lives. Um, it's the grace of God that allows us to have peace. Romans 1.7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, call the saints grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then here, 
And then in 2 Corinthians 1, 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost verbatim. Ephesians 1, 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then 2 Peter 1, 2. Peter says it. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So... His greeting is for the Corinthians, and it's a reminder to them of the grace and peace from God. Now, in verse 4, he begins thanking God, or he, he, he makes note of the fact that he thanks God. Verse 4, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. Despite the grief that this church must have been bringing Paul by their refusal to live out in holiness the lives that God had given them, He thanks God for them. The correction will come, but right now he is reminding them only of love and care. He's thankful that God saw fit to bestow upon them grace and that that grace was given to them by the Son, which was given to them by and in the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. God himself in the person of Jesus Christ, working through them, working through this. This giving was not in response to some merit that the Corinthians had, their ability to debate, talks about the debaters of the age, their ability to, to uh, overcome adversity. It was, there was no merit. It was given to them out of grace, period. <laughs> if anyone was in a position to recognize that they had not merited the divine gift, it would have been the people in the church of Corinth. The world over in their time recognized this city as a culture of debauchery, a culture... Uh, worthy only of scorn, of mocking, of importance, even in the pagan world. God, but Paul thanks God for them. And he, this had to have been some kind of music to their ears. They got enough, they were castigated and mocked enough. Uh, to have an apostle of God thank God for them must have been music to their ears. He also reminds them of grace, saving, sanctifying, and unlimited that was given to them by God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and through His work alone. And as I mentioned earlier, He's nothing if He's not consistent. It is grace that He is thanking God here for. It's remarkable that He acknowledges that even in the lives of these believers who seem to have so many present problems, the grace of God is evident. So lest, I, I, I think to myself, lest I ever come to a place in my life where I think, well, I finally appropriated all the grace I need. You know what that means? I need a whole bunch more. A whole bunch more. We never come to a place where we don't need the sanctifying grace of God. Never in our lives. And Paul is thanking God that he, for the grace that has been given to the Corinthian believers. And that should have been evident to them that the grace was coming into their lives. So what's going on? To those who would have been um, open to the, to the uh, admonishment and the the surgical work of the Holy Spirit, who knew their behavior was wrong, they would have been thinking, okay, what does this mean? Why would he say that to me? I'm, I'm really awful. Anyway, and that is how the Holy Spirit works in each of our lives. When we think we're on the road, thumbs up, and a time comes when we need to have some surgical, spiritual surgery done, the Holy Spirit knows just how to do that. It was just how to remind us. 
Any comments or questions on verses 3 and 4? I forgot about asking on verse 3. Verse 5. And here's Paul, when he was talking to the Colossians, he spoke in the words that the Gnostics used because that's partly what was going on in that church. He used words that would would have been familiar to those practitioners of the lost arts of, of Gnosticism. In this book, in this epistle, in this letter, he knows the culture and what's going on, or more importantly, the Holy Spirit knows, and imparts to Paul the correct terminology, the correct wisdom that would speak directly to these folks. And so he uses words that would have had more of an effect specifically on the Corinthian believers, and it may have had on other churches, Um, although all down through the ages, we all struggle with these things. The Corinthians were eloquent. Uh, They were Greeks, and they excelled in in knowledge. Uh, When God saves a person, along with salvation, bear in mind, comes an increase in knowledge as one delves into the Word. Do you know more about your salvation now than you did 10 years ago? Do you understand more about it than you did 10 years ago? Of course you do. Now, you don't have to know all theology and all of the words that the Holy Spirit has written to, get, to, to, to trust Christ. But as time goes on, and as you spend time in the Word and you allow the Holy Spirit to minister in your life, you become more knowledgeable. And that's what was happening with the Corinthians. So along with salvation comes an increase in knowledge as one delves into the Word. The Corinthians had been enriched, he says, both in their speech and in their knowledge. Um, and that is after their salvation, if, as they submitted themselves to the work of the Lord in their lives, they became more eloquent and more knowledgeable about the things of God. <laughs> sometimes that's not necessarily a great thing. It's a good thing. But sometimes the spontaneity and the excitement that has come with your salvation is more eloquent than any, any special words. But I would guess that in the lives of the believers here, you have actually become more able and more eloquent, if if you will, in expressing how you were saved and what your salvation means to others than you were 10 minutes after you were saved. Would that be... And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. The difficulty comes when we begin to appropriate to ourselves the glory and the ability, the glory that that ability brings, the uh, excitement that it can generate in others when they hear what God can do. Um, Two things can happen when a person becomes thus enriched in speech and in knowledge, as Paul says here. If they have an attack of ego, then these two things become elevated to a point or to a position they were never intended to occupy. If they remain humble, because God gives grace to the humble, these two things become marvelous tools that God can use in making them successful, making us successful in communicating the gospel. And the Holy Spirit can use the knowledge to change a person's life into the kind of life God wanted for them and to be a pattern for others. That's a scary thing to think that, that God wants the life of believers to be a pattern for others. Now, it's our responsibility to point them to Christ. But we read through the scriptures where Paul said, follow me as I follow the Lord. So it's an appropriate thing. And uh, the correct and most profitable enriched speech and knowledge will be that which is in submission to him, as it says. And one of the best ways to submit our speech and our knowledge to God is to remember that everything we have is from his hand. Uh, everything we have. That's a, it's, a, it's an important distinction. I didn't do it. For who regards you as superior 
What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So the speech and the eloquence that the Corinthians had, the gifts that the church had, were gifts of God. They didn't generate these things. The Lord gave them to them. Ephesians 3.8 To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the easy-to-understand riches of Christ. What does unfathomable mean? We're doing word etymologies this morning. What does un mean? What's a fathom? It's six feet. Isn't it six feet? It's a measurement of depth. So it's something, it's a depth that is not able to be sought, to be, to be discovered. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to Gentiles, to the Gentiles, the unfathomable riches of Christ. Paul says that. Paul reminds us in that verse that that's what the, that's, that is what the grace is for, and yet it, as human beings, we're fallible. We can't get to the bottom of the riches of Christ, but we can try. This enriching should also produce in us an incredible thanksgiving for the gracious kindness that God has bestowed upon us, the ability to understand and speak about Him, about His glory. 2 Corinthians 9.11 You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. God gets the glory. Thanksgiving goes to God. That's some of the compo- those are some of the components of a humble heart that understands, by the grace of God, even that understanding, that the riches given to us are to elevate him, not ourselves. Oh my, do we use them to elevate ourselves. If you look at the political world today, one man said it this way, a lot can happen if nobody cares who gets the credit. Well, let me rephrase that. A lot can happen if we make sure God gets the credit. If we make sure God gets the credit. We must remember that the speech Paul is talking about here, something that the Corinthians valued highly, was the ability and the capacity to speak for God. Unfortunately, many of us are like Moses. And I'm, I'm guessing that there may be some folks in here, or some folks at least in, in Kootenai Church, who think that they really don't have an ability to tell others about God. Moses thought that. Uh, and we think we can't speak the things that need to be spoken, but this verse tells us that with the Holy Spirit, everything is possible. Well, I guess I haven't got that verse up there. Uh, it's, it's, it's verse 4. Verse 5, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. You were enriched in him. If you think you are unable to communicate the truth of God, you need but spend time in his word and trust his Holy Spirit. And you, because you do have the ability, you do have the ability to speak the things that he wants you to speak. Uh, The knowledge that Paul is talking about is not that we'll know everything, although sometimes we think we do. I knew a fellow who wore a t-shirt, it used to say, Actually, he's a relative of mine. It said, everybody is entitled to my opinion. Um, We don't know everything. We don't need to know everything. What we do need to know, God will make sure we know. (laughs) We will know what is necessary to live godly lives and to speak about him in an effective way. The Holy Spirit will take the word that we study and couple it with our lives. Word first, lives second, anecdote second, word first, 
Always the word first. Remembering that it is the word that comes first. Not the things that happen to us. He will take this and he will give us the ability to know how to communicate it to those around us. Both by our actions and our words. The beauty and the sufficiency of the work of Christ. While the Corinthians would have valued speech and knowledge in and of itself, of themselves, they valued speech, eloquent speech, and knowledge just for the speech and the knowledge. We know that nothing is valuable in and of itself. It is valuable in how it enables us to glorify God, to communicate the work of God. Those of you who work with the unborn may have the unique ability to communicate um, eloquently the proper attitude towards the lives of the unborn. And that comes from your study of the word, from your understanding of how God values the unborn. Those of you, so you have unique life experiences that the Holy Spirit can mold and use to communicate in your life the things that you need to communicate, the things that will be effective to those around you. So never think, well, everybody else can speak and teach, but I can't. Yes, you can, as you submit yourself to the work of God in your life. Maybe your expertise is in the work world. God, uh, between God's word and your life, the world, you will be able to address those in a manner that will communicate Christ to them. Whether it's in times of great difficulty or simply in everyday life as we submit our speech and our knowledge to him, to the Lord, and trust his Holy Spirit to work in and through us, he'll give us what we need uh, to communicate the glory of God to those around us. All of us. Not just some select few. There are no, there's no such thing as a select few in the church. Special people in the church. The, whole, the church, the, the believers are special. All of you. All of us. For I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. When they bring you before the sinner, who's he talking about? Is he talking about just a few people? Now, this was specifically applied to, the, to his disciples as he was talking to us. Are you not disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are to say. Now, we know there was a specific and special application for that in the founding of the church, in the lives of the apostles. But this, this principle carries through to the lives of believers today. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor in time since. You have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. Even Moses thought he was not good enough. And then in John chapter 3, verse 34. For he whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. You, we, are able, by God's grace, humbly, to carry his glory to the world around us. Every day. Any, um, let's see, I think I finished there. Well, let me finalize it like this. This is indeed a remarkable thing. And it, it, will always, it should always be done in a manner that gives glory to God, appropriating to ourselves the glory, or expecting uh, the speech and the knowledge in order to elevate ourselves will not bring the grace of God to do so. The grace he gives 
in these situations is for his glory alone because he will not share it. He said in Isaiah, I am the Lord, I will give my glory to no other. It is incumbent upon the believer to recognize this and do it in gratefulness and humility. So any questions or comments about verse 4, 5, I mean? So everyone in this room, by the grace of God, is able to communicate the glory of God to other people, both by your lives and by your words. And, and, and I, now, I'm, now I'm speaking a little bit more extemporaneously, but in your particular life and life situations, you will be more effective than some supposed elevated, gifted teacher because God has put you in those positions, in those situations. You have the relationship necessary, maybe, for the words of grace to be communicated properly to those in your lives around you. So then in verse 6 he says, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. Testimony is the same word where we get the word martyr. (laughs) Don't be afraid. Not all of us are going to be called to be that type of testimoniers, martyrs. The enriching that is the ability to speak and understand that comes with salvation is part of our testimony in Christ, part of the Corinthian testimony in Christ. And it's confirmed in us when we receive the grace that God gives us to trust Christ. As we walk through our life, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, becoming by God's grace more and more like His Son, by grace to grace, as it says in in Corinthians, the testimony of our lives to the salvation that only comes by grace is firmed up more than ever. It becomes, uh, the testimony becomes confirmed. To make firm, to establish, to make sure. Uh, I hesitate to use the word because we're human, but guaranteed. Is your salvation guaranteed? By who? By the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's foolproof. That was a poor synonym. It's, uh, it's unfathomable. We just had that word. But it's secure. Let me put it that way. The Greek word translated confirms mean, confirm means to make sure, to make firm, to establish. The word that is translated testimony, as I mentioned, is from the same word we get martyr. Every, every believer is a confirmed testimony to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the heart of man. Even the believers in Corinth. Every believer. Any questions, comments? Verse 7. So, let me me reread verse 6. Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this harks back to verse 5, which states that the Corinthians were enriched by God in utterance and in knowledge. Paul here tells them what they probably think they already knew. That is that they are, they are um, trendsetters in the gift department. The book of 1 Corinthians deals with the gifts more effectively and more in depth than pretty much any other single epistle in the, in the scripture, although there are... Um, I've got some other references here, so we can, we'll look at them. We're not going to go into detail now. Paul, well, Paul here tells the Corinthians what they probably already think they knew, that they are trendsetters in the gift department. And to their credit, to their credit, well, I don't have the verse up there, should have. They are eagerly, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're looking forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Although the Corinthian church, the group, the, the believers as a whole there, lacked moral discernment, spiritual, spiritual maturity, and self-control. <laughs> Those are things that are not good to lack. They did have everything they needed to live a life of service, Paul says. Which would have indicated to them that they need to develop spiritual, spiritual maturity, moral discernment, and self-control. Later, we're going to see that they... Uh, that they did not have discernment regarding the gifts. This will be more in verse in chapter 9 and in chapter 12. But we will see that they did not have discernment regarding the gifts, and they even sought gifts that they, they did not have for themselves and, and for the wrong reasons. We'll see that later. Nevertheless, Paul is telling them that God has provided them everything they need. Is the grass greener on the other side? It really isn't. And, and, and sometimes... What's the other saying? Uh, having a brain lock, which is unusual because you've got to have something to lock first. But it's, it's the word where we, we remember the old days. Nostalgia, yeah. But actually, if you were transported back to those days, you'd find out, oh, there were difficulties and everything there too. I was reminiscing, and I, I think I just got lost. So later, we're going to see that they didn't have the discernment they needed, that they sought gifts that were not for them, that they that they sought gifts that, that they didn't have, that they thought what they, what they had wasn't enough. And I guess where I was going with that is we always think what we have isn't enough. It's not as good as what somebody else has. It's not as, it's not as flowery or flourishy as what somebody else has. But if what it is is what's God's, what God has given you, it's exactly what you need. And this, the Corinthians needed to discover that. They needed to discover that, it, and sometimes it takes years to discover what your gifts are. Because that's another thing about salvation. Four minutes after salvation, did you know exactly what God had gifted you to do? Maybe there's a few out there that did. I wasn't one of them. I still don't know what I'm here for. I'm just kidding. Over the years, in your interaction with the Scripture, in your interaction with others who know some of your strengths and some of your weaknesses, that's how you begin to discover your spiritual giftedness, what God has prepared you for. And then you begin to study the Word, or you continue to study the Word. And in that, God begins to stir up what it is that you are specially defined for, defined for, and designed for. So, again, Paul is reminding each and every one of the Corinthian believers that each one of them has the gift or gifts that God's chose for them. There is no... There are no special or extraordinary gifting to people who are supposedly more spiritual. That doesn't happen. There's nobody more special, more gifted in the church than everybody. But yet we're not cookie-cutter Christians, and we'll get to that too. None of them were lacking in the necessary gift or gifts that God wanted for them. It's apparent that some of them were not recognizing this giftedness, nor were they using it properly. And so Paul reminded, and as I mentioned earlier, sometimes it takes us years to discover what it is that God has gifted us with. In chapter 12, Paul develops all of this. But he, here he gently chides the Corinthians for being uninformed about the gifts. When we get to chapter 12, we will explore the list of gifts in detail. And we have someone who is eminently qualified to help me out on that here. And we'll, we'll use his, his knowledge and his expertise um, Paul also develops the idea that if everybody, that, that if all we needed was hands in the church, then everyone would look like a hand. But we need feet, and we need arms, and we need ears, and we need eyes. And so everyone 
has a particular special use, use and, and giftedness in the church. <clears throat> For now, suffice it to say that the list in 1 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 is distinctly different from the other three lists. Just think about this. When we get to it, it's a long ways from here. I don't know when we'll get to chapter 12. Um, hopefully we'll all still be alive. But the list in 1 Corinthians 12, and I'll put them up here, is different than the lists in Ephesians and in, in uh, Romans. And why didn't I put Romans up there? Because I forgot. Because I'm not gifted in PowerPoints. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. To another faith by the same spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Ephesians 4, 11. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another. Employed in serving one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as the one who is speaking, as one who is speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. I'll, um, I'll bring Romans next week. It's, it, it, for those of you who are interested, it's, just, it's before 1 Corinthians. The important thing to remember about the gifts is that the gift or gifts that God has given to each of us are to be used for, for His glory and to minister to the church. To minister to the church and to the world as we are directed. Note also that Paul praises the Corinthians for their gifts, but not for their behavior. Apparently, in ancient writing, it was common and appropriate. What's the word I'm looking for? Common and almost expected. When you praise someone for their gifts, that you praise them for their behavior involving those gifts. Paul doesn't do that. So, note also that the Corinthians expected, and I mentioned this earlier, the, the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word translated uh, revelation here, and translated coming in the King James, is the word from which we get apocalypse, apocalypsis. One commentator put it this way. Three words are prominently employed in connection with the return of the Lord. Parousia, also used by Paul in the coming of Stephanus, and then it lists the, the scriptures, and of his own coming to Philippi. The word means personal presence and is used of the return of the Lord as that event relates to the blessing of Christians and to the destruction of the man of sin. Number two, apocalypsis, employed here and meaning unveiling, revelation. This word emphasizes the visibility of the Lord's return. It is used of the Lord in these various scriptures of the sons of God in connection with the Lord's return, and of the man of sin, and always implies perceptibility. It's not some secret return. It's the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, his second advent, which will be visible, as his first advent was visible. Um, and epiphania, which translates often brightness or manifestation in some other versions. It means an appearing and is used of both advents, and then it lists the scriptures. But here, the word Apocalypsis, Paul praises the Corinthians for um, the fact that they were looking forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Any comments about verse 7 or questions? Again, we'll get into the gifts uh, 11 chapters hence. So, be patient. Verse, chapter 1, verses, verse 1, chapter 1, 
verse 8. Who, the Lord Jesus Christ, will also confirm you to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is Christ alone who is tasked with the responsibility of maintaining his bride, the church, made up of individual believers, you and I, to the end. It's his responsibility to maintain the church. Those who have truly trusted in Christ will be confirmed, that is, made sure by him all the way to the end, and they will be completely blameless at his coming. Won't that be something? To be completely blameless? Now, in Christ today, we are completely blameless because of his work on the cross. But we will actually appropriate that when we step into heaven. We will become blameless, not guilty of anything, not responsible for any bad. Uh, this blamelessness, the blameless, will, is the result of our sin being disposed of at the cross. So it's a past happening, a past event. And at, it is at this time, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he will be revealed in all his glory with no veiling such as he had to wear during his first, his first coming, uh, coming as a baby, coming as a, uh, a human man in Galilee, God in the flesh. So, even in the face of spiritual immaturity and immorality in the Corinthian church, Paul could say these things. Why? For the same reason he could say it about us. Because it's God who's at work in our lives. He was confident, as he said to the Philippians, that whatever God has begun, he will finish. Philippians 1.6 For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, Corinthians, debauched church, immoral, incestuous, difficult church, but he began a good work in the believers there, will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so this would have been at least something of a blessing, I think, to the believers at Corinth as this letter was read to them, that the Apostle Paul was calling them blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Believers, beloved, gifted. Co comments on verse 8? We'll make it through. Let me see how much is on verse 9 before we tackle it. Yeah, we'll tackle verse 9. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So how can Paul be so sure that this group of immature, divisive, nitpicky, immoral believers, how can he be so sure that this group of believers will be a testimony to the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ? He can be sure because God is faithful. As one commentator put it, now, and, and we all know this, this is not an excuse for us to live loose lives, but it's a, it's a promise that what God has started, God will be faithful to finish, to take it to completion. The apostles' confident, one, com one commentator said, the apostles' confidence in God, as he expressed this in these verses, enabled him to deal with the problems in the Corinthian church optimistically and realistically. God was for the Corinthians. Now they needed to orient themselves properly toward him. And how do you do that? By studying the word, by listening to the voice of God through his word, where he reveals to us what it is that he intends. This then is the first, this then, the first nine verses can be considered Paul's gentle, kind, confident, and thanksgiving-laced introduction to the church who won the prize for the most problems, who won the prize for having the most problems. Church most likely to not succeed is what they would have been voted. And from man's point of view, they would have won it hands down, probably. He thanks God always for the Corinthians, recognizing that even here the testimony of Christ has been confirmed. This is a church full of gifts just waiting to be used properly. 
you, you buy a brand new toolbox, you stock it with all the proper wrenches and sockets, and, and or if you're a woodworker, no, I won't go there because I don't know the name of the woodworking tools, <laughs> and I would just embarrass myself. Sockets, wrenches, Allen wrenches, screwdrivers, etc. You've got all these brand new tools, and somebody opens it up, and they're still in the wrappers. They've never been used properly. This is the church at Corinth. These are... These are believers just as the church at Philippi were believers. These are believers just as the church at Thessalonica were believers. These are believers just as the church at um, Colossae were believers. With all of the problems the Corinthians struggled with, and there were many, such as, I'm going to list a few here, immaturity, issues of leadership, incest, legal disputes, marriage problems, divorce problems, sexual purity, idol worship, problems with authority, the Lord's Supper, the proper use of spiritual gifts, understanding the resurrection, and others. That's just, that's just a partial list. Paul first deals with the problem of unity, and what we're going to get into next week, we're going to talk about how he, how he begins dealing with the Corinthian church's problems. The first thing he talks about is unity. And I'll, I'll close with this. If he was going to help this church, it would have to start with dealing with their divisiveness. If they couldn't come together none of the issues would ever be dealt with. There's nothing that destroys the church and the witness that believers can have like divisiveness. The church, church splits and quarrels are ruinous and they can destroy families and render the testimony of the church inert, if not negative. When believers let their egos rule the day, splits and schisms are inevitable. And so it is that Paul will begin his corrective with dealing with, with uh, divisiveness and a lack of unity. And again, as I started out this morning, aren't we grateful for the, the unity that God has given us here? It's a, it's a rare and unique thing when it's, it's a unity around the Word of God, around the, the biblical teachings of the Word of God. Um, there's not a lot of that in the world today. And we'll talk about that as we go on. Let's pray. Father, let us go into the world this morning after we are taught this morning in, in this morning's service bearing the gifts that you have given us to your glory. And might we do it with encouragement for others and service for your church, believing that what you have begun in us, you will complete, knowing that it is for the day of Christ and for your glory. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.